Hey everyone, welcome to the World Podcast of Oz, and we're back with another episode of Movies of Oz with Sam Malazzo. Hello. And what movie are we talking about today, Sam? Well, the most, the most Aussiest version of Oz, putting it lightly. It is a movie called Oz, or 20th Century Oz. On DVD, it's called Oz, a rock and roll road movie. Uh, you can pretty much get the idea of what it's like. I've heard people say, you don't really get it if you're not Australian, so might as well have an Australian lead us into this one. Thank you. In 1976, Chris Lovin released his written and directed featured take on The Wizard of Oz, filming along areas of Melbourne in Australia. Dorothy is a groupie, played by Joy Dunstan, who hangs out with an amateur band, Wally and the Falcons. When the band's van crashes and Dorothy is knocked out, she awakens to find herself in an empty country town where all the inhabitants stare like zombies. She comes to the shop of Glenn, the good fairy, played by Robin Ramsey, and he gives her a pair of sparkling red heels and thanks for killing a town tramp or whoever. Doug. When Dorothy finds out that the wizard is having his final concert in the city that night to retire at 25, she heads along the highway where she meets and is joined up by the Scarecrow, now a Sophie who has a fear of sharks, played by Bruce Spence. The Tin Man is now a heartless mechanic, Michael Carman, who is more willing to sabotage somebody's engine to get his way, and a skinny, tough-talking, arrogant, but ultimately wimpy, sobering bikey who can't stand violence, Gary Wardle, all the while being pursued by a towering, 15-stone, silent, strong-type truckie of a wicked witch, brother of the man he believes Dorothy killed. After much hitchhiking and stopovers, both walking and riding in cars or on a bike, Dorothy finally makes it to the city and is able to see the wizard's concert. But even that is not enough, and she wants to see him again. But then the truckie, played by Ned Kelly, finally gets his hands on Dorothy and kidnaps her, demanding her to bear all at his place until her friends finally get their act together and rescue her. They find where the wizard was residing after his concert, and of course he isn't all that he's cracked up to be. Realizing the effects of fame and fortune, Dorothy wakes up to her friend's relief, just where they crashed. This isn't your usual adaptation of the Oz story, unless you come in expecting the MGM version, and then you get more or less than that, which is pretty obvious from some scenes. You can't help but think it's a modern retelling of MGM. I mean, hello, Red Shoes, Dream, and all these people that Dorothy meets along her way having the same faces and being played by the same people she knows in her real life. Music by Ross Wilson. The music is mostly background music songs of the 70s, very urban and, at times, dated and stereoracial, even slightly offensive. I am an Australian Oz fan, and I like seeing different interpretations of Elfenbaum's story, but there are limits to what I approve or even accept. This is a bold, unique, and I admit nicely made Australian film, but I was not happy the first time I watched this, and overall this may not be for the faithful follower, because it lacks severely the family appeal and charm of Baum. And while there are some good moments, I did not enjoy watching this. And I am happy not seeing this any more than 1 out of 10. Jared, how was your first impression of this film? 
I remember I actually watched it in breaks over a weekend. Frankly, I was just like, what on earth is this mess of a movie? This is definitely not for kids. This is definitely not for innocent Oz fans. Oh my goodness. The first time is usually a shock. I've rewatched it a couple times, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess as a movie it's not that bad, but as an Oz movie it's like, whoa! We normally talk about movies, and you assume they are Ozzy likes traditional Oz films, but this one is a complete fish-out-of-water experience because there's absolutely no magic in this movie at all. Except for the fact, the fact how Glenn keeps running into Dorothy. But, you know, he is a fairy. Mm. But not in the magical sense. No. Although he is a fun character. I first heard about this film on one of the old sites. You remember the one by Piglet Press where they had a catalog of Oz movies and this one was listed among them? Yes. I read the description there and I expected a bit more of a beach movie. You know, like the, I thought that the Wizards farewell concert was going to be on a beach that Dorothy actually looked good and it's a little bit different than I it's certainly different than I expected especially the lion because well the guy who's playing the lion character because I always imagine the lion character as you know a big guy tough strong looking but here he's he's the shortest of the trio he's skinny scrawny he's a tough talker with a foul mouth and dirty tongue, but, you know, he, it's just a front. He's, he makes up for his short stature and his skinniness. And when he gets into his wimpy character, it's not natural to me. It just feels forced. It's not right. I think out of all of them, he is pretty much the weakest of the trio there. Yeah, he it really doesn't feel too natural when he does start crying. Bruce Spence, however, is probably almost undoubtedly the biggest name in the entire cast, actually. Yeah, that's saying something, because I don't know any of the actors, professional or amateur, listed in this movie. I mean, I've heard of Ned Kelly, but I don't think that this is the same Ned Kelly I've heard of legend. See, Bruce Spence, he's been in several different films, I think Mad Max... Fantasy fans will know him as the Mouth of Sauron in the extended version of The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. He also played a warg rider in The Two Towers. And he was also one of the missing lords in The Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Less said about that movie, the better. Hey, I liked I liked The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Okay, whatever. But we're on an Oz podcast right now. So, he's been in a version of Oz. He's also been in Middle-Earth, and he's been in Narnia. No, if he was in Alice or Wonderland, he'd be set. Yeah. There are times when the movie is a bit long. Like, I watched... I only just watched it, like, a, recently, before this podcast, and I thought some scenes or moments could have been trimmed down. They were a bit slow, especially at the end, because... The end credits stop at 1 hour 38 minutes, but the music keeps on going for another minute or two, which makes the movie all the more like 100 minutes, 1 hour 40 minutes. Yeah, I I guess I was done so that if uh, so that, you know, the music would keep going even as people left the theater, Mm -hmm. even if they sat through the credits. 
I'll just say it. I think the mu- the movie was done a bit more to showcase the music than to actually be a really well done film. Speaking of film, it's rather surprising. Like this is a bad film or a bad movie, but it's on a surprisingly decent DVD because it has special features. The movie, um, it's partly restored. It does look good. You notice a lot of specs and hair and all that sort of thing, but it's sharp enough, it's colorful, and it does have some good special features, like an introduction from the writer-director, a slightly different opening to the intro, an interview, trailers, um, radio spots, and other work that the, the director has done, a gallery, all that sort of thing, except for subtitles. It doesn't have any of that, so quite often you're t- wondering, what what did they say? So it's a bit hard to understand what the characters say sometimes. I also thought the volume on the DVD was uh, overall was kind of low. Well, quite often the music is loud and clear, but it's usually the dialogue that's harder to understand. They sometimes either mumble or... Yeah, the dialogue is not on the same level with the music. Yeah, I guess that might be a bad uh, thing about the audio mixing, which... Kind of brings back my point that this was really made to focus on the music of Ross Wilson rather than the actual story. Why on earth did they do this to the Wizard of Oz? Uh, well, it's been a while since I've seen Chris's interview or feature, but uh, I think it's easy for some directors to take something that's familiar and make a new story out of it than, say, making more effort to make a new story. Well, it does oh. tend to be easier when you can actually base on something. Because mm. there's already the coherent plot laid out there. You just have to adapt it for another medium. But, yes, like you said, this film is not for kids. And it's not for the faithful, for the um, innocent Oz fans. In, the purists, in fact, the pure in heart. <laughs> in fact, this is the perfect thing to watch. If you like sex, near nudity, drugs, a whole lot of foul language, swearing, rock and roll music, and an all... Almost absolute blasphemous take on a classic book. Jimmy! <laughs> I'm kidding. If I was given the opportunity, the time, energy, and, you know, if I had the full idea, I would have done a much, much better modernization of the story that removed the magic but still kept it decent and appropriate for children and families. I heard that in the U.S. this was, like, shown in, like, double features with movies like Rocky Horror and Late Night Matinees. For, like, college students who were, like, want to go out and watch weird movies. When little kids were in bed and could be spared from this sort of thing, yes. The title 20th Century Oz was used for the U.S. release. It's never been officially released to DVD in America. And I've heard seen some people say, oh, I can't, I'm going to wait till this gets released in America, then I'll see it, rather than trying to import the Australian DVD. I'm like, yeah, you keep waiting, buddy. It's 1976, though. You can't really expect a Australian movie to be released on DVD in America after 36 years. Well, it depends. I mean, the thing is, though, that when it comes to releasing a movie on DVD, any movie, really, it's from a back catalog and not a new release, it pretty much has to be something that people, uh, that they know there's going to be a strong fan base for. Or else they were just put it on a simple manufactured-on-demand disc. Yeah. 
if they do it at all, which means you just get the movie on DVD. You don't wouldn't even get the nice special features from the Australian DVD. That that is if you're into that thing, if you're into this movie enough. Even though we both didn't enjoy the film quite as much as some might, we did still at least give uh, the special features a watch because we figured, okay, they did this. Why did they do it? And, you know, once you give something a first look, you don't have to give it another look again anytime soon. So the DVD is rather surprisingly decent. Like, despite the lack of subtitles, it has a very good art cover as well. I knew next to nothing about this movie, like, you know, aside from what I'd read on that Piglet Press Oz site. And, well, I just went into an easy DVD store one day and asked if they could just see how they could order it in. Like, I gave the title of the movie, and within two or three days, I got it. And that was some years ago, but... It was rather easy to get an Australian DVD of an Australian movie in Australia. Yeah, over here I'd have a bit of trouble. I'm sure if it's not released over there, no one will really miss it unless they are really keen to. If they don't know about it, then, as they say, ignorance is bliss. I was really surprised when you mentioned the whole beach thing because of the few reviews I actually did picture it all taking place on a beach, like a old beach party movie with Annette and Frankie... But it's not really near a beach. There is one scene where they are on a beach, but... That you know, it's scene more, was it's, kind of analogous to the poppy field, wasn't it? Sort of. It's just a very more contemporary, modern-day, very adult-oriented version of MGM's telling of the book. Yeah. It very much follows the plot almost beat by beat. There's some things where it's not exactly the same, but... Very much, it's a lot like the MGM movie. You can definitely spy it where it owes its origins. The director says it wasn't meant to copy MGM, but, you know... It's if you see it, Yes, the red shoes, the dream. I... The deli- delirium. There is no way you can say this was not inspired by the MGM movie at all. Because a lot of the stuff directly from the MGM movie that was not original to the uh, bombs book. You try hard to see if there's anything from the book, but you can't see anything from the book. If you see green lights, well, that's pretty general, yes. But it's probably best that the shoes were red here instead of silver. You know, for the um, mature reasons. Yeah, um, there's a whole thing about red being a symbol for... A gold's growth. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. yeah. Do you think yeah. people would know that this version of Dorothy is a blonde, or they would expect a brunette? Well, in order to do that, you'd pretty much have to sit them down and pop in the movie without them seeing the cover or anything. Mm. And then that would involve them not seeing the menu on the DVD, since it shows it right there. Mm. But... I don't know. You once um, wrote a blog about this film years ago, and you said she looked 16 to 18. But you know, it's a bit hard to tell. Like We both know how just because you look young doesn't necessarily mean you are um, young. So she may look like a teenager, but she could be you know, in her early 20s. Yeah, I, I was watching it, and I'm like, okay, there's no way this woman is a teenager. <laughs> It was just, no. You're not a teenager. Although, you, I'll give you this much. It's not a, as big of a stretch as watching Diana Ross. Mm. 
Hint, hint. For which we'll month. get to later, much later. Much? Next month. When I was looking at this film recently, I tended to watch the whole thing, but um, on that concert scene, which is another sequence where it goes on a bit too long, I just had to fast forward through it. I'm not really that much into rock and roll, especially that type of rock and roll with those costumes they had on stage. And I was watching a music video I'd made for the movie, and... Breaking Benjamin. My little brother was over here, and he was, and he noticed, and he's like, "What is going on in that scene? Is that an acid trip?" I'm like, "Yes, let's just leave it at that. That is the concert scene for you." It is a uh, most inventive Australian film. It is clever. It is brash, noisy, gutsy, and uninhibited. Um, enjoyable. That depends on your own personal taste. This was made in a time when Australia was really beginning to get into the whole thing of making movies, right? Yes. I think we just started that in the 60s or so. But, yeah. I don't know much about Australian cinema, even though I should, being an Australian wannabe filmmaker, yes. But um, I think we were just starting Australian cinema in the 60s. Unless I'm mistaken. Maybe there aren't as many great Australian films as there are American classics, but, you know, at least we have some. Yeah. I'll give you guys that. I'm just... It was called, like, the new wave of Australian cinema back then, so... Maybe you'll be at the lead of the next big wave of Australian cinema, Sam. Well, we'll see. Maybe. You also don't get a sense that the wicked trucky, I suppose you could call him, um, is really defeated or, you know disposed of as in most versions like he's knocked out but not down and out for good you know yeah and he could maybe do this again but of course since dorothy entered delirium before she sees him again you gotta assume okay she's safe should i go over my theory that i had once about how uh this might not actually be delirium go on okay here was my theory dorothy is not in a delirium. She is in an alternate dimension where Wally and the Falcons have become a big band. Except pretty much Wally has gone solo as the wizard. And since Dorothy has acted to belong in this version of events, hence when she gets home by breaking a mirror, that's what brings her back into her, her actual dimension. Yeah. There we go. I just turned this movie into sci-fi. I do kind of like that broken mirror bit. That's one of the few bits I do like, but except for the language bit, yeah. We must also remind our listeners that there is some racial lyrics here. Yeah, I've been told that it's not actually intended to be racist, but in today's society, you just can't get away with some of the lyrics that are in this song. I don't want to offend anybody on the podcast. I'm not going no, to repeat them. We don't. We we wouldn't. So I'll just say that it is very offensive to black people. I once compared the film to the film adaptation of The Wiz, which we'll be looking at next month. That might be a little fun read. Well, we've said more than we actually intended to for this, um, for our least favorite film based loosely on Oz and Elfing Bomb but more on MGM. 
I guess the statute of limitations has run out, so Warner Brothers can't sue him. But luckily, we haven't talked as much as we have on previous podcasts, so yeah. uh, this could be one of our shorter podcasts. This isn't really a film we'd recommend for our Oz fans. Yeah, the fact that it is kind of obscure and the DVD is a little difficult to come by if you're not living in Australia, that kind of speaks for it. And, and even yeah. in Australia, it's not on every shelf. You know, I think it's uh, a sort of select few order or something. Like you said, even though they were able to get to you quickly, you still had to special order it in a shop. So if you don't get this film, I think you'll be doing yourself a little favor. But it does have some good shorts of Australian scenery, I suppose, that almost could bring to mind the book if you just ignore things like cars, fences, and telephone poles or that sort of thing. Oz in this one is not supposed to be a magic land. It's supposed to be Australia, mm. pure and simple. The city is actually Melbourne, yes, not the Emerald City. Are we going to prepare to ease on down the road? Oh, I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> oh, yes. And after what we just talked about just now, The Wiz will be so much more welcoming. I definitely like The Wiz. We're talking about the play here, right? One or the other. Next month, Sam. Next mm. month. So, this has been Jared Davis. And Sam Malazzo. Thanks for listening, and good work if you actually managed putting up with this discussion. See you in the next one. Bye.